You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the world's continued fascination with Lizzie Borden. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I am so happy to be back here with all of you today. I feel like it's been so long, but it's really only been like a week. I guess it was just a really long week for me because it feels like more like two or three. Um, I want to express my gratitude and appreciation for all of you listening today. Thank you all for your continued support. They say to do what you love, and I can honestly say that working on this podcast and everything that it entails is truly a highlight of mine every single week. So I appreciate all of you who come week after week and you listen and you engage and you support. Um, When I look at the data and I see how many people are listening and downloading um, episodes and to just see the reach that this little podcast is attaining, it gives me that push because I'm like, okay, even though this is hard, even though it's not always fun, my listeners expect a story this week and I don't want to let you guys down. So um, I know a lot of people within the podcast community who, I don't know, you know, they get a lot of hate. They obviously have a lot of followers, but they get like mean comments and stuff. And I think that that's something that you just have to be okay with when you put your ideas out here like this. Um, but I really don't know how I got so lucky that I have a fan base and listeners and supporters that are so loving and that they don't give me any hate and that you guys aren't mean to me and that you guys are kind to each other as well. Anyway, I just wanted to smother you guys in compliments today because I love you and I'm so grateful that you're all here. I just want you to know how great I think you are just in case no one's told you that today. If you aren't already following me on Instagram, you totes should. <laughs> so lame. Uh, you can find me there at Mystery Still Unsolved. We also have a website. It's www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Shameless plug. All right, that's enough housekeeping for one day. I hate chores, so I'm ready to get this show on the road. And and it's it's very important that we do that today because we have a lot of information to go over because this case is huge, like King Kong huge, like Billy Fusillo. If you are a resident of Syracuse, you'll know what I'm talking about. Huge. And that's why it's so important that we just dive right in because there's just so much information to go over. Um, before we do that, though, I do want to go ahead and give a big shout out to Let's Go to Court. Um, they're a podcast that I've referenced before in the past. They have a fabulous episode on this case and helped me immensely with my research today. They really dive into the court aspect of this case, which is fascinating, and I'll touch on it a little bit but I'm not going to dive too much into it. So if you want more of that kind of stuff, you should go listen to their episode. I believe it is episode 32, and I would definitely recommend it. Today's episode is going to be about the infamous Lizzie Borden. You probably know who she is unless you've been living under a rock your entire life. This chick has a creepy little poem, 
written about her. Uh, she's had so many various TV shows and movies that have been made regarding her case. Um, I personally have been interested in this case since I was a wee, a wee child. <laughs> Something about it being like old timey made it less scary to me back then because I don't know. I was like, everybody involved in this case is dead. So it's not like they're going to come and get me or anything. <laughs> um, but when I was in my twenties or my mid twenties, I can't remember exactly what year they came out. There was like this really cool television series, um, that came out about the Lizzie Borden case and it was starring that girl, uh, Richie something. Oh my goodness. What is her name? She's super famous. She, I don't know. I'm not going to remember her name, but she was Tuesday in the Adams family, like the original Adams family. Anyway, it's great. It's not um, super historically accurate, as you'll like learn in today's episode, but it's on the right track. It's like going in the right direction, but they kind of like, you know, they take some of the conspiracies and they like make it seem like it's facts. They kind of play into those, those conspiracies. Um, although Lizzie was always suspected and even went to trial. She was found innocent of the murders. So there are actually two unsolved murder mysteries in this episode. One, if Lizzie did commit these heinous crimes, how on earth did she get away with them? And two, if Lizzie didn't kill her parents, then who did? All right, so let's set the scene, shall we? It is August 1892. We're at the Borden family home at 230 2nd Street in Fall River, Massachusetts, and it's actually still around. It has been converted into a creepy little bed and breakfast, um, so I will post a picture of it on the Instagram. The home is owned, or the home was owned because we're going back in time. The home was owned by Andrew Borden, who is stupid, filthy, rich. In 1892, he was worth about $300,000 and adjusted for inflation, this would be about $10 million today. Andrew made his fortune in a multitude of ways, but mainly he accumulated it through his ventures with real estate and furniture manufacturing. His two adult daughters, um, also resided within the family home as, you know, per the times, even though Lizzie was 33 and Emma was 41, uh, they simply could just not be trusted to live on their own because as we all know, um, women's feeble brains and bodies just can't handle the stress of, of such a thing. Um, I know that this isn't a visual medium, um, so you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm rolling my eyes right now, like rolling them out of my head, basically. So just try to visualize it. <laughs> Emma was the oldest at 41, like I said, and Lizzie was the youngest. She was 33. Andrew's second wife, Abby, also lived in the home. Um, and the girls, there was a lot of tension. So here's the thing. Life in the Borden home kind of sucked. Andrew is crazy rich. Like I mentioned, he had the equivalent of about $10 million today, but uh, dude didn't get that way spending that cash. No sorry, Bob. Uh, Andrew was a tightwad. So the family home was clearly nice, but when you consider how wealthy the Bordens were, it could have been a lot nicer. Um, I mean, by that time in the late 1800s, 
most wealthy people and even most middle-class homes had within them electricity and indoor plumbing. But no, not the Borden household. Nope. Andrew didn't want to cough up the dough to go poopy inside of his house, so that meant he and his girls were traipsing outside in their nightgowns at all hours of the night to do their little tinkles in the outhouse by candlelight. So, you can imagine how chilly it must have been to go out to the bathroom in the middle of February in Massachusetts. But if you can imagine, that wasn't even half as chilly as a relationship between the Borden girls and their stepmother. The girls addressed Abby as Mrs. Borden. While I learned this, I imagined that the marriage between Andrew and Abby must have occurred later on in their girl's life, like perhaps when the girls were already teenagers and, you know, they kind of had that relationship with their mom and they're like, this lady's not going to replace my mom. But that was not the case. Abby had married into the family when the girls were like four and ten or something. So, yeah, she'd been around for a while and they were still referring to her as Mrs. Borden. One of the many reasons the girls didn't like Abby was because they were sure she was simply after their father's money, which if that was the case, Abby, that backfired on you, girl, because you man don't even spend no money. Uh, That's a bad gold digger. If you're going to be a gold digger, at least do your research. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not condoning gold digging behavior, but come on, you need to put 100% into everything you do or why even bother? Many people besides the Borden girls reported that the relationship between Andrew and Abby was actually pretty great. Um, A lot of their friends said that they seemed to be deeply in love and happy, and they honestly respected each other greatly. But on August 4th, 1892, things did get pretty bad. So it's August 4th, 1892. It's super hot. The family maid, Brigitte, was sleeping in the Borden's attic. She had just been cleaning the exterior windows and she was super tired. Um, She claims that she awoke to the city bells marking the time 11 a.m. Shortly after that, she heard a scream coming from downstairs and she recognized the voice as being Lizzie. Lizzie yelled, Maggie, Maggie. Apparently, Brigitte's nickname was Maggie, and I don't really know how you go from, like, such a pretty name as Brigitte, oh, I'm Brigitte, and I'm French, to Maggie, Maggie. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. Like, Brigitte is such a pretty name. Why would you replace it with Maggie? I don't know. Anyways, uh, sorry to any Maggies out there, (laughs) but if you had the choice between Maggie and Brigitte, come on, Maggie, what would you pick? Anyways, Lizzie yelled, Maggie, Maggie, come quickly. Father's dead. I think someone came in and killed him. So Maggie runs down the stairs and is horrified by what she sees. Mr. Borden had been brutally murdered. He was laying down on their Victorian couch. The attack was so violent that it was hard to even recognize Andrew as human. Maggie and Lizzie were obviously distraught. Lizzie Um, sends Maggie to go to the neighbors to get some help and soon there's just like a bunch of people at their house there's just chaos everywhere people are talking to Lizzie Um, she sends a couple of them on errands like oh you go get the police you go get the doctor blah 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 blah. anyways people come back and they're like "Um, hey where is your stepmom at and Lizzie says oh my stepmom yeah 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 Um, 
she actually got a note earlier today um, letting her know that her friend was sick, so she left to go check on her friend, but I'm actually pretty sure that I heard her come back home, uh, so does somebody want to go up and check on her? That's a little weird. If your dad's dead and you think that you heard your stepmom come in, like, why would you not go up and be like, oh my gosh, my dad's dead? Like, why would you just be like, oh, I'll get to it? Anyways, Maggie, like, refused to go up because she had already, like, stumbled across one dead body today. So a couple of the neighbors go upstairs and sure enough, they find Abby Borden's dead body face down in the floor as well. And she's been murdered in the same brutal fashion as Andrew. The police arrived. They find that Andrew's body is still warm, so they figure that the murderer must still be close. Um, They go up and they feel Abby's body, and it's actually cold to the touch. So they now assume that Abby was killed first and that Andrew second. The police vow to find the intruder who did this to Lizzie's parents. The police spoke to Lizzie, and, you know, they try to be gentle with her because she had just stumbled across this horrifying scene. Um, But even throughout speaking to her, their suspicions were starting to grow around her. Um, She just seemed way too chill, which evidently it could be shock. I mean, you can't like, we never know how we're going to react in this kind of situation. Like I freak out about the smallest things. Like, I get so angry with the slightest of inconveniences and so spooked by, like, things that are so small. But when my daughter, she, we were at a hotel and she fell and hit her lip on the edge of the bed and her lip was, like, her face had, like, split open. We had to rush her to the hospital. We had to go to, in, like, an ambulance. And I was actually ridiculously calm. And I have no idea how that happened, but I was, like, way too calm. I just feel like we just don't know how we're going to react to stress, how our body is going to react to stress until it happens. Um, so, yeah. Um, but the police say that she didn't seem surprised because they believe that she had, in fact, killed their parents. Um, the officer on the scene asked Lizzie, you know, who do you think killed your mom and dad. And Lizzie replies, quote, Abby Borden was never my mother. She was my stepmother. My mother died when I was a little girl. End quote. (laughs) Eventually, Lizzie went upstairs to lie down in her bed. The family doctor stopped by to give Lizzie some medicine to help calm her down, which seems pretty unnecessary considering the police said that she was coming off as too calm. But nonetheless, she claimed to be sick. So the police kind of like refrained from asking her very many questions. Um, They didn't even really go into Lizzie's room because the doctor said that they shouldn't disturb her. So they just kind of like glanced in her room, glanced in her closet. But if they had spent more time in there, would they have found evidence? Perhaps some bloody clothes or even the murder weapon? That's an excellent question that we're never going to know the answer to because they just didn't look in there very well. They did, however, find some interesting things in the basement. 
Um, so when they went down to the basement, they found two axes and two hatchets. Eventually, they found a third hatchet, and this one was missing the handle. It looked like the handle had been snapped off. Um, there was something else that was weird about the hatchet. The dust, which was on it, seemed different from the other tools in the room, which the police took to mean that someone had applied dust strategically on the hatchet to make it appear like it had been in there for a while when it had in fact not been in there. Aside from that, the police didn't really have much to go on. They did have the doctors and the medical examiners um, examine the bodies, and they did, and the medical examiner claimed that a man would have had to have done this because the blow, it was just too bloody. You know what I mean? Like just too much. And as we know, uh, women are delicate little flowers who couldn't possibly kill someone in their sleep, uh, with our weak little bodies and our weak little arms. So, I mean, we don't even do hard labor, honestly. So like, (laughs) how do we know what an ax and hatchet even are, let alone how to use them? I'm having way too much fun with this. All right. Anyways, they did know that there didn't seem to be a struggle when it came to Andrew's death because um, it appeared as though Andrew had been sleeping when he was murdered. Andrew had been struck 11 times in the head and face, and Abby had been struck 18 times. So this suggests a crime of passion and Abby seems to kind of been the main victim just because of how many times she was struck. Today, we are going to dive into a few different theories about who may have killed Andrew and Abby Borden. Theory number one, it really didn't take too long for suspicion to shift from like this mystery man that Lizzie was trying to claim broke into the house um, to herself, to 33-year-old Lizzie Borden herself. Did you guys know that she was that old? I mean, I remember knowing that people thought that she was old, but I had always assumed that it was because of the time period. Um, I thought she was like 19 years old and people were like, ew, she's 19 and she's not married. What a spinster. Disgusting. But 33, that's actually, that's older than me. So I feel like I can say that that's old. (laughs) No hate to you 33 year olds out there. I will join you soon enough in like two years. So I can't say too much, but 33 in 1892 was actually probably considered very old. (laughs) I thought it was like, oh, she's 22 or she's 19. No, 33. I can understand why people thought she was old. So maybe she wasn't married. This is just a thought that I have. Maybe she wasn't married because she was giving off sort of a murdery vibe that people were picking up on. (laughs) Um, People began to remember Lizzie's distaste for Abby, which I don't really think Lizzie and Emma were keeping a secret. I mean, they called her Mrs. Borden. Um, A guy that worked at a local pharmacy um, recalled to police that Lizzie had come in the day before Abby and Andrew's murders and had been wanting to buy poison called prussic acid or prussic acid um, because she claimed that she wanted to, quote, kill some rats, end quote. Um, I don't know if she was being metaphorical about that or literal. I don't know. Um, but anyways, this guy at the pharmacy had refused to sell it to her and he wondered to the police if that might be relevant. And, uh, yes, sir. That information is absolutely relevant. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Her parents died. That's so weird. Yesterday she came in trying to get poisoned. Do you think that could be related? Like, 
Oh my gosh. Good thing you're a pharmacist and not a detective because you're literally an idiot. So police circled back to Lizzie and this time they asked her some tougher questions. They weren't as gentle. They didn't like let her take a nap halfway through the investigation. Um, And as chilly as Lizzie may have seemed and cool and calm and relaxed, she did not hold up well under this type of pressure. Her alibi sucked. She claimed at 9 a.m. that she was putting shams on pillows and that later around the time of the murder, uh, she claimed that she was in the barn looking for supplies for an upcoming fishing trip next week. She was like, yeah, I was up in the loft of the barn for like 15 minutes. And that is literally the worst alibi I've ever heard. Um, And the police agreed because they're like, oh, You're up in the barn, you say. Okay, cool. Um, They went to the barn and they checked it out. And the barn is like super dusty, like years and years and years of dust like up in there. And there's no footprints and there's no like signs that anything has been disturbed or like looked into. So it looks like the barn has gone untouched for quite some time. Nobody was up there looking for fishing stuff, whatever that means. Um, The other thing they thought was fishy (laughs) was the day of the murders. Um, It had been like super, super hot. Remember, it's August 4th in Massachusetts, which is on the East Coast. So the humidity alone can kill you. So why would you choose on one of the hottest days of the year to voluntarily go up to a barn loft in sweltering heat for 15 minutes to get some supplies for a fishing trip that's happening next week? Like, it just doesn't make sense. This is a task that you could have put off, like, later in the night when it's not, you know, burning in, like, 105 degrees. Um, There was another thing the police couldn't let go of either. Lizzie had claimed that on the morning of the murders, her stepmom had received this mysterious note about a sick friend. So police obviously wanted to see that note, and Lizzie claimed that she, you know, I just don't know where it is. And they said, okay. We'll find it. That's what we do. We're police officers. We find things. And they searched the entire house, turned it upside down, and what you know, they couldn't find the note. Witnesses claim that Lizzie acted very bizarrely upon the discovery of the bodies. She had sent everyone in different directions to perform like these mundane tasks like, you, go get the doctor. You, get the police. You, go ahead and get a hold of my sister. You, get a coffee cake because now we have company. Like, Meanwhile, Lizzie was just sitting alone in the house with two dead bodies, her, her own father. And even if she doesn't like Abby, I mean, she's been in your life for over 20 years. So I don't know. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be left alone in a house with two dead bodies, especially when the murderer is like still on the loose and could be anywhere. That is unless you already know who the murderer is and you know that you have nothing to worry about because you're the murderer. You know what I'm saying? This struck the police as very odd, so much so that they they began an inquest on Lizzie. Um, Lizzie was interrogated at the courthouse um, for three days without an attorney present. And you have to remember that Lizzie had not been charged with anything, but she had to go to the courthouse every day and be questioned by three judges. She did ask for an attorney during those days, but based on the time period and the laws of Massachusetts, and since it was just an inquest and she hadn't technically been arrested, she didn't technically have the right to an attorney during an inquest. 
the way that you probably would today. Lizzie's testimony was all over the place. It was contradictory. A lot of her friends who had stood by Lizzie after hearing about her parents' passing were present at the inquest, and when they saw for themselves and heard for themselves the inconsistencies in her testimony, they uh, pieced the F out. You know what I mean? They were forced to face the truth that perhaps their friend actually did do this. A week after the crimes were committed, Lizzie was arrested. She pled not guilty. She stood before a grand jury who at first refused to indict her. They didn't believe that there was enough evidence to, you know, have a trial at all. Um, the prosecution claimed that they had new evidence, which was that a friend of the Bordens named Alice had stayed with Emma and Maggie and Lizzie after the murders to, you know, kind of be a support for them. And Alice claimed that the night of the murders, she witnessed Lizzie go into the backyard and burn a blue dress. When Alice had asked Lizzie, why are you doing that? Lizzie claimed, oh, um, I'm burning this dress because there's paint on it. And this made the cops super suspicious because on the day of the murders, Lizzie had been wearing a blue dress. At that, the grand jury indicted her. Lizzie was like, oh crap, good thing I'm rich now. She hired three lawyers, her old family lawyer, a famous Massachusetts lawyer, and another lawyer who had been the governor of Massachusetts at one point in the past. So yeah, she paid a print, a pretty penny to these people to represent her. But the prosecution wasn't worried. They didn't care that she had these fancy, expensive lawyers. I mean, on their end, they had one lawyer who ended up being the attorney general of Massachusetts, and the other one ended up being appointed a judge at the Supreme Court level. So all of the lawyers on both sides of this case were super, super legit. On June 1st, just a few days before Lizzie's trial, a local Fall River woman was found in her kitchen, hacked to death with an axe. Plot twist, the person who killed that woman ended up being a Portuguese laborer. And this, this comes, is very important because right after Abby and Andrew's death, there had been this thought that there was a Portuguese laborer who felt like Andrew owed him money. And he had supposedly gone to the house that day and Andrew said, hey, I know I owe you money. I don't have it on me right now. Why don't you come later? And so that had kind of been like the original suspect in the case until everything kind of shifted over into Lizzie's direction. Um, so it seems like both the cops and the townspeople, after hearing about this lady who was hacked to death with an axe in her kitchen in a very similar way as the Bordens, and then it ended up being this Portuguese laborer, it seems like the townspeople and the cops were like, huh, that's weird. Anyways, back to Lizzie. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem that any real effort was put into figuring out if these two cases might have been connected in any way. The prosecutors brought in Andrew and Abby's skulls to show the jury how extensive the injuries to the Bordens were, and when the skulls were unveiled in court, Lizzie actually fainted. When she came to, the prosecutor continued where he had left off, and Lizzie fainted again. 
He said that Lizzie was the only one with motive and the only one with opportunity to commit these heinous acts. I mean, he's got a point. By both parents dying, Lizzie and her sister Emma inherited a buttload of money. Um, Lizzie and Emma also hated their stepmom, and Lizzie and her father didn't really have the greatest relationship either. I mean, apparently Andrew had purchased a home for Abby's half-sister instead of purchasing Emmy, Emma and Lizzie a home, which he had apparently been promising to do so for years. Um, after their parents' death, Lizzie and Emma purchased a home in a wealthy area of Fall River, so they didn't really waste much time going to town on that money. Regardless of all of the circumstantial evidence against Lizzie and how she contradicted herself many times in her own testimony, Lizzie was not found guilty. Yet, still, people in the town believed she was guilty. There's even a creepy nursery rhyme that the children in the town would sing at recess, and it goes, Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. The second theory is that Abby and Andrew were actually killed by John Vinicum Morse, who is Lizzie's uncle from her actual, like, biological mother, not her stepmother. Interestingly enough, according to Lizzie's testimony, John was a guest at their home at the time um, of the murders, and he had not been seen at the home between the hours of 9 a.m. and noon. John's time is unaccounted for because even though he did give the police an alibi, he claims that he was visiting a sick relative. I don't understand why everybody in this house is, like, sick. Like, oh, they weren't feeling good that morning. And then they got a letter about somebody being sick, and now this guy is going to go visit a sick person. Like, why is everybody sick? I don't know. I guess it was 1892. Everybody was sick. Anyway, so he claims that he was visiting a sick relative with the town doctor. However, that same doctor he claimed to be with was looking at the bodies of Mr. and Mrs. Borden at the time John claims that they were together. This is a bizarre contradiction in his story. Furthermore, Abby was found in the bedroom that John had been sleeping in the night before. Apparently, she had been, like, kind of prepping it and making it all nice for him. Also, according to Lizzie's testimony, John may have known about the Borden's will. Lizzie herself was questioned on the stand if she knew if her father had a will, and she said that she didn't know for certain, but that she had heard several years ago that there might be one. The prosecutor asked her, all right, you said that you had heard at some point that there might be a will. Like, where did you hear that from? And Lizzie answered, my uncle John. John Morris had a failing livestock business, and it's believed that he might have been visiting the Bordens with the intention to see if Andrew would be willing to loan him some money. Even the doctor said it's possible the Bordens were not killed with an axe, but perhaps a meat cleaver, which, would have, which John would have had on him as he was a butcher by trade. I think this makes him just as much of a viable suspect as Lizzie, honestly. The third theory is that Maggie, the maid, actually killed the Bordens. Maggie claims that she was taking a nap in the attic at the time of the murders, which kind of raised my spidey senses a bit when I heard that. I was like, wow, I mean, you're a maid. That's a cushy maid job that you can be sleeping up in the attic at 11 a.m. as Lizzie and Abby are supposedly hosting a guest and putting shams and pillows and crap. Like, why are they doing themselves? They have a maid. 
Isn't the maid supposed to be doing that? But, you know, Maggie's just sleep. We can't disturb our maid. She's sleeping upstairs. I don't know. That seems like a pretty luxurious 1892 maid job. Albeit, I mean, Maggie was sleeping in the attic, so it was probably not the nicest. But I just feel like a maid sleeping at 11, like, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Testimony claims that Maggie was not fully asleep so that she should have been able to hear someone murdered in the bedroom underneath her room, which I, yeah, I think that if somebody was being murdered underneath me right now, I'd probably, you know, hear thuds, maybe a scream or a gasp or like a help me or something. Anyways, suspicious. The fourth theory is that Maggie and Lizzie were in cahoots and killed Andrew and Abby together. And if you didn't know, there's been like this long time conspiracy that Lizzie and Maggie were secret lovers. Um, I think that that probably stems from the fact that like Lizzie's old. She's like 33. She's that's like 105 in 1800s years. Um, And she was still living at home. So anyways, the thought is, the theory is, is that Abby the stepmother found out and she was going to tell Andrew and get Lizzie and Maggie kicked out of the house. So they killed her before she could to cover it up. This theory is further backed up when we learn that later on in life, Lizzie was not shy about a crush she had on a famous female actress. And this little crush made her older sister, Emma, so uncomfortable that she moved out of the home and never spoke to her sister again. That is pretty intense. Because it's not just like, hey, I don't want to be around you because this is making me feel uncomfortable. But like, then she just never spoke to her sister again because of that. I feel like there's more to the story that we need to know, but I don't have any more information. Um, my only other thought is that perhaps that was just like a cop-out excuse and maybe the real reason why Emma moved out of the home and never spoke to her sister again is because maybe like Emma and Lizzie had had a conversation where Emma was like Lizzie you got to tell me the truth like did you have anything to do with our parents death and Lizzie finally confessed and that's what actually made Emma leave and then you know Emma's the older sister she probably wants to protect Lizzie so she probably just made up some silly reason why she left but that's just like my own like that's just me sitting on my soapbox I have no evidence to prove that it's just me like thinking out loud basically um other than that there's no evidence to prove this theory it is a fun theory and it honestly doesn't even seem too crazy because there are certain elements from Lizzie's testimony and from Maggie's testimony that don't really make sense but if you kind of like piece both of their testimonies together it does fit a little bit better. It makes a little bit more sense. Um, More than a century later, we are still no closer to officially solving this mystery. I'm afraid that this case will more than likely fall a victim to time. I mean, I'm sure if the police had had access to the forensic technology and tests that we have today, this case probably would have been solved, but they simply didn't. And any evidence that there still is it's probably like too degraded or tainted in some way. So I think we'll just never know for sure on this one. All right. So now I'm going to like shift. I'm going to like tell you guys my theory on what happened. And so 
There's no evidence to back this up. This is just like me knowing the story for such a long time and just kind of like piecing things together in for myself. So I really do think that Lizzie Borden killed her parents. I think that she was so upset and so embarrassed. Um, I mean, she's 33 years old. She comes from wealth, but she doesn't really get to experience that life. She's probably hanging out with girls who are wealthy and she wants to, you know, live extravagant lifestyles like they do. And all that stands between her doing so is her stingy, penny-pinching dad and this evil stepmother that she has. So I really do feel like she killed um, her parents. Um, The blue dress... Some people wonder, you know, why would she burn a blue dress? People had seen her in the blue dress earlier that day, um, and there didn't seem to be any blood on it, so why would she burn it? My thought is Lizzie probably, this is like my thoughts on how I think she did it. So I think that Lizzie knew that her mom was in, or her stepmother was in the other room prepping the guest bedroom or just not prepping it because he'd already stayed there a night, but just kind of like fixing it up a little bit. I think she took off her huge dress and just had kind of like the slip on underneath. And I think that she went into her uncle's room that he was staying at and, you know, kind of crept up on her stepmom and killed her that way. Like, I really feel like that's what happened. And then I feel like she probably waited in her room until her dad came home and he, you know, went into the parlor to sleep. And so she kind of waited a little bit for him to go to sleep. And then I think that she went downstairs and she killed her dad. Then I think she went upstairs, you know, took her time putting her, um, her blue dress on over her bloody slip because the slip would have been super bloody. Um, So she put it on on top to cover it up. And then she went back downstairs and pretended like, oh my gosh, I just stumbled in on my dad. Oh, this is terrible. Maggie, Maggie. And then Maggie comes downstairs. And the, the story continues from what I already told you. That's honestly what I think happened. Then I think that After the police had left, she was like, well, you can't see blood on the outside, but I was wearing this bloody slip all day, and so it's made the inside of this blue dress all dirty. Um, So I got to get rid of this slip, and I got to get rid of this blue dress in case the police come back and want it. I can, like, try and play it off like it was a different blue dress I was wearing or say, like, oh, I don't know where it is. Oh, it got paint on it, so I had to burn it, blah, 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 blah. That's what I think. Then I think she hired herself some really good lawyers because she was rich now, and they helped her get off the hook. And and honestly, there were like there was um, considerable doubt in the case, like reasonable doubt, especially with that uh, woman who had been murdered in her kitchen. I know that they didn't really take that into effect, but I mean, it puts doubts in people's mind, even if you don't talk about it. So I don't know. That's my theory. And I think that definitely later on in life, Emma was like, Lizzie, I gotta know. Like, did you have something to do with it? And Lizzie told her, yeah, I did. And that's why Emma never talked to her again for as long as they both lived. So, I don't know. 
What do you make of this case? Do you agree with my theory? Do you agree with any of the theories that were mentioned today? Are there any that seem like way too far-fetched and crazy to you? Um, I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I found out about the house and how it had been converted to a bread and breakfast, guys, I think I'm tempted to stay there. Who am I? I've changed. Last summer, I wouldn't even have considered that as a possibility. And now look at me. Summer 2021, you've made me grow. I'm progressing. I've changed. Well, next time I'm on the East Coast, I'm going. It's been decided. I'm going to stay in that creepy little bread and breakfast. And it's going to be so awesome. <laughs> um, I did make a post on my Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. So you should head on over there and see some of the photographs regarding this case. Some of it, trigger warning, is gruesome. Like the skulls and whatnot. So just a trigger warning there for you. Um, thank you again for all of your support. For following me on Instagram. For commenting on my posts. For sharing um, me with your friends and your family on Instagram, on Facebook, and in real life. Um, thanks for visiting my website and for sending me cases and compliments. I really appreciate it. You guys seriously are the best. The best way, if you want to know, to support this podcast is to just keep coming back. Just keep coming back and make sure that you join me next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved? <laughs> <laughs>